My name is Sanjay Bijawat. I am part of a global IoT business development team. I'm based out of Seattle. Now, some of you might have been expecting to see Mark Relf up here today because he was supposed to be the speaker. But Mark, uh, unfortunately, became indisposed just you know, two or three days ago. And I've uh, you know, just stepped in here to pick up all of his reInvent uh, engagements. So, um, so it's going to be me today. And uh, you know, so joined by me, if I can see him probably, is, is Mike Margolis. Uh, Mike is one of our customers. Uh, yeah, Mike is, uh, you know, with, he's VP of Cloud Engineering at a company, a startup company in Israel called Weisberger, which is now part of the AB InBev Brewing family. And if you, you know, all will stick through my presentation and wait for Mike's, you know, portion of the presentation, you'll get to hear about a, a topic that is very near and dear to all of our hearts, beer. <clears throat> so um, with that, you know, uh, what, what I want to do today for the next, you know, 20, 30 minutes is to help you understand how, you know, IoT services from the edge you know, to the cloud are being used by a lot of our customers across many industries to digitally transform their companies and industries. And the way we think about digital transformation is you know, in three sort of buckets. You know, change what you build, change how you operate, and change how you monetize. Those are sort of the three pillars, at least the way we, you know, in AWS IoT, we think about the impact that IoT can have on a you know, company's sort of digital journey. And at the center of all that is your know, data. And that's what we will spend a lot of our time today talking about. And so when it comes to data, what am I talking about? This is, in fact, the core question that we ask all of our customers when we begin the IoT journey with them. And in this case, when I say everything, what we're talking about typically are the, the enterprise, the key enterprise assets, your key enterprise assets. And I refer to them as the three P's and C. People, your people, your products, your processes, and the C are your customers and how they interact with your products. If you knew the state of all those assets, you know, that is, in fact, the holy grail, right? And you know, this chart sort of maps pretty well to the three Ps and the C. The data that the most advanced enterprises that we're working with are collecting you span the entire product value chain all the way from smart product design to product validation, you know, building the product, shipping it out, getting it into the field, you know, collecting data from every step of that process and making it available to every other step of the process is a hugely valuable endeavor. And like I was saying, the most advanced companies that we're working with are beginning to work you know, towards that. Obviously, you know, being able to get there entirely is a you know, huge effort, which I don't think anybody has you know, quite gotten to. But yes, that is, in fact, the holy grail. Uh, <clears throat> and even as you start to begin to collect pieces of that data, you, know, you can begin to address a lot of common enterprise scale problems, right? They can be all the way from productivity and the efficiency of operations to, you know, to energy management to the health and safety of your, your workers. And the list goes on and on. This is just, you know, a small sampling. And 
the most important thing is that this can directly impact your bottom line. Your revenue rises and the costs come down. Typically, it's the cost-cutting side of the equation. I don't know if this thing has a pointer or not. Um, probably not. The, the cost-cutting side of the equation, the right side of it, is where most companies begin their IoT journey. These are sort of direct and you know, tangible you know, items, right? You know, your, your actual costs. And what you measure, then you can manage. But the revenue side is, in fact, where the true long-term gains actually come from. Entire business models can change. I'll give you an example. You, know, you all heard of, sort of a company called Michelin, right? You know, a well-known tire company has been selling you know, tires for 100 years. Well, Michelin you know, still sells tires, but in certain markets, they now don't sell tires. They sell your know, tire runtime. Michelin now you know, maintains ownership of the tires. You maintain ownership of the tire runtime. The tires are now you know, so censored to the extent that Michelin knows a hell of a lot more about the tires than you could possibly know. And a new set of tires you know, you know, lands at your doorstep just when you need them. Now, next time, Costco has a great deal on Bridgestone, you, know, you won't even be moved by that. You know, Michelin, through the approach they've taken with IoT, has cemented the relationship that they have established with you. you know, that's the power you know, of the revenue side, the transformation. I mean, that is an example of a company that is you know, slowly sort of doing, you're doing transformation. Now, these, these data elements we've been talking about, they, you know, they impact all the items that you see over here. There's a lot of business model change that's in fact going on just for the existence of your know, web services, you know, data from mass production to mass customization all the way through. But the last one over there, that's the most important one that we're seeing in the IoT world. You know, companies like yourselves are no longer selling me just a product. Very often, you know, you're selling me a service. You're selling me a product, but now as a service. A good example of that was the one I just you know, talked about with Michelin. And we'll, we'll talk a lot more about business models later on in this conversation. So hopefully, there is no more doubt in people's minds that this data from billions of devices, you know, industrial devices, home devices, commercial devices, is going to provide the lubrication, the fuel, to really help your, your company sort of transform their entire operations. But the flip side of that is that there's also no doubt that this is not going to happen tomorrow. This will take time. And we'll talk about some of the reasons why this digital transformation is not easy. A lot of companies are doing things, and they're making enormous and great headway. But you know, it takes time to see the true, the true impact you know, on their businesses, their enterprises transformation. And we'll talk about why those, those conditions you know, exist today. Like I was saying. You know, despite all the challenges, a lot of companies are deeply engaged with us. You know, this is a you know, so small sampling of our IoT customer universe. Companies on the B2C consumer side, like Philips, you know, iRobot, and our own Alexa team, to commercial companies, B2B companies like British Gas and Trimble and Thermo Fisher, and then obviously the big, the big major industrials like Siemens, Volkswagen, your Terex and your Deutsche Bahn, and a lot, lot more companies are working with us to really you know, deeply sort of transform their operations, but they're all at different points in the actual journey. So let's, you know, with this overview, let's go a little bit deeper. And what are our customers doing to really begin to digitally transform their companies? 
As I mentioned in the beginning, we define digital transformation as an amalgamation of these three broad paradigms. You know, change what you build, you know, change how you operate, and then you know, change your economic model. You know, today, let's begin with the first one. You know, changing what you've built, your products. Today, your connected products are being built in lots of unique configurations, and they offer very, very unique experiences. They can be products that are completely self-healing. For example, we're working with one of the major sort of telecom companies. You know, they make uh, routers. You know, routers are you know, pretty inexpensive products, you know, 20, 30 bucks, right? Not a lot of margin there. But think about the amount of customer service calls that they actually get. You know, one of the, the, our customers told us that the single biggest volume of customer service calls is just to say, my router is not connecting. And that's a huge waste of a customer service call, an expensive customer service call. So why couldn't the router be completely self-healing when there's a break somewhere you know, on the connectivity, whether it's at the back end or at the router? The router can run a simple machine learning model that was built in the cloud, you put down into the router, and it self-healed itself. Completely knocks out a huge expense you know, for this, this particular customer in this case. Then the other big sort of transition happening in the world of connected products is that you can add your functions on the fly. I'll give you an example. How would you like to be able to on-demand purchase one hour of super turbo mode in that beautiful you know, Karma Rivero GT that is being displayed at the area right now because you happen to be driving down an open highway in Utah, and you suddenly realize, oh, I've got 200 miles of open road here. Just for that one hour, I'd like to be able to purchase one hour of super turbo mode. You know, you can do that. Just by a simple over-the-air update that comes into the car, it gives you a small time window, you know, go have some fun. And by the way, I gotta make a sort of you know, shameless pitch here you know, please go visit the Karma Rivero, you know, which is in the Aria Quad. It's running a beautiful car, and it's running you know, three demos, machine learning demos, that me and my team actually put into it. So yeah, please go, go visit that car as well. Um, the, the other part, the other two you know, sort of steps, we'll, we'll talk a lot about you know, doing, doing new operations, making a change in your business operations. You know, a lot of companies today are looking to be able to dashboard their entire operations from the start to the finish, be able to see their entire operations you know, with sensors all the way across. We'll you know, talk a little bit later about Bayer Crop Science, who we're working with you know, in the smart agricultural space. They're doing this a lot right now. Being able to see everything, only if you can see everything you know, can you begin to make you know, so changes and amendments that can actually drive business value for your company. And then we'll talk a lot more about you know, business models as well. So I was talking about you know, bear and precision agriculture. This is you know, one of the industries where we're seeing the transformation happening you know, fairly quickly. And it's happening across the board. It's happening in what they build, it's happening in their operations, and it's happening in their business models. And one of the reasons why this is particularly important, if you, if you go to the Bayer Crop Science website, you'll see that the, the underlying reason why they're focusing so much on digital transformation is because they say one-third of all the food that is made in the world every year is wasted. And 40% of that waste, about three quarters of a trillion dollars a year, comes from the organized food manufacturing sector, which, you know, which is where Bayer fits. And when you think about the hundreds of thousands of new mouths that are, you need to be fed every year, I mean, you can see why this is a particularly acute problem 
for this industry and why they are putting a lot of you know, focus on doing the, the digital transformation right now. Like I was saying, I mean, you know, companies like Bayer are putting a lot of effort. A lot of companies are, are doing you know, a lot of things that are you know, moving them you know, further down the IoT journey. But if you look at this particular picture up here, if I was to ask for you know, show of hands, I won't do that here because I can't even see anything right now. But, uh, but if I you know, was to ask for a show of hands, you know, to ask you all you know, where your particular company's IoT projects are, I wouldn't be surprised if your histogram looks just like this. You know, it takes a lot of corporate patience and perseverance, both of which are generally you know, in short supply in the corporate world, to be able to make you know, this, this transformation happen. So one of the reasons why we have Mike here today is because his company is in full production. They've actually made that transition. You'll hear him talk about what they're doing today and kind of how they got there. But there are not a lot of companies who've gotten to that point. They may have you know, pilots going, they may have a limited production operation, a division, you know, things like that. Well, one of our customers, Woodside Energy from, from Australia, has got you know, sort of 10% of their the gas operations you know, completely on, on a digital twin. But they've you know, 90%, you know, still more to go. So yeah, people are, are working their way through. My company has made a lot of headway. And why is this the case, right? I mean, you know, lots and lots of reasons, but I'll talk about a few. One that is particularly close to my heart is the edge. I mean, I spent a lot of time working on the IoT edge, and the IoT edge is hard. Particularly, the industrial IoT edge is very hard. Actually, the word industrial protocol, it's about like a four-letter word in my world you know, when it comes to industrial IoT. There are probably 400 different disparate types of industrial protocols that your machines you know, spit out data in. Out of those, 180 of them or so are absolutely you know, mainstream. We have to convert, or rather we have to work with you to convert those protocols, 180 you know, to 400 protocols, at millisecond speed, moving you know, sort of high volumes of data rapidly without losing data into OPC UA or MQTT protocols, which are the ones that our cloud systems can actually absorb. That, that's hard work. That take, that's taken a lot of time. And you've got to do this, like I was saying, you know, very, very carefully not to lose data, not to have privacy issues on PII, you know, not to have a security flaw. And then to be able to manage that kind of volume of data, that's not the core competence of a lot of companies. On top of that, you know, having your performance now measured on the basis of data, that's kind of a scary thought too. So the culture change within companies to make this transformation happen, you know, it's a slow, it's a slow process. And you know, because of that, it actually takes time. Um, and you know, business models change, and it's actually you know, a threat to the traditional ways of doing things, right? So all this stuff you know, does, does take a, a bit of time. So with that, giving you an overview you know, of the three pillars, let's go a little bit deeper into each of the pillars. So we, we talked already about you know, products that can do interesting things. I mean, our own Alexa products, as you've seen, a lot of you use our, our Alexa products. You know, the Echo series, you know, they, they do a lot of sort of unique experiences now. Our you know, partner companies and our, our customers like iDevices and iRobot, you know, they're, they're on the cutting edge of doing things as well. I talked about the fact that you can update the function, the abilities of these, these products out in the field. You can make them self-healing. You know, so those are the big sort of hallmarks of the next generation of products you know, companies are building. But one of the things, and one of the things that's making that possible is this edge to cloud back to the edge nature, you know, sort of nature of modern IoT. Get data up to the cloud, build machine learning models in the cloud, deploy them back to the edge, 
whether you have connectivity or not, the machine learning models operate. They, they pick up sort of errors and anomalies, push those back up to the cloud, retrain the model, push the model back. The product continuously improves over time you know, by itself. I mean, that is, you know, that is now possible, and it's possible into small products, bigger products. You know, we've got a service now, which you may have heard of, Amazon SageMaker Neo, which makes it possible to take a machine learning model and its entire machine learning framework and be able to shrink that down by one-tenth to a one-hundred in its memory footprint and push it down to a small device on the edge. That's how we are pushing more and more. You know, the biggest, sort of, the biggest trend going on in the world of IoT today is the transition to take the best of the cloud and push it down to the edge. So you can have the same thing happening at the edge, so you don't have to spend lots of bandwidth and you know, money to store data up in the cloud. You do as much as you can at the edge. And that is being, that's what's making it possible to do these kinds of new products. Now let's talk about how the biggest heavy lifting that's going on is in the world of you know, how companies are using you know, you know, data to change their operations. And you know, I mean, we've, we've talked now for quite a while about the importance of data. But the dark underbelly of you know, industrial data in particular is that many companies like yours have been collecting data for a long time, you know, 10 or 15 years. But that data is largely untapped for the purpose of digital transformation. That's because this data sits in, in local on-premises repositories like you know, SCADA systems and historians and never sees the light of day in a combined way across, you know, across assets, you know, across geographies, across divisions, across the entire enterprise. So lots of data, but it's not really tapped. And that you know, is a complete waste, a huge, huge wasted asset, which you have to figure out a way to tap into. And so, um, oops, I hit the wrong button here, sorry. And so we spend, are spending a lot of our time working with customers, helping them understand the fact that they have untapped data and that's what they have to do first. If you look at the, the third point up there under the problem, you know, companies are constantly telling us, you know, so, so we want to learn your, your AI and, and machine learning services. We want to get that, you know, all that great insight that, that everyone talks about. We want to get the insights. But then we have to sort of bring them down to earth and say, you've got to do the basics first. You've got to bring your, your data up. You know, the solution first step is bring the data up to the cloud, look at it, just look at your data, get a feel for your data. Once you begin to get a feel for your data, then define the business problems you want to solve, and then set up a data lake where you bring the relevant, you know, corporate data from different repositories into the lake. Not all your data, just the data important for the problems that you actually want to solve. And then you begin the journey of AIML to move from descriptive to predictive to, oh, to you know, preventative to predictive analytics. So that's the sequence. And we, you know, we offer a very, very simple sort of high-level architecture, right, to, to begin this journey. You know, at the core is the AWS data lake, which you, you may have heard about you know, this, this time at reInvent or possibly before. It's a unique structure that allows you as a customer to bring in your data from a myriad data sources you know, with disparate formats and schemas from, you know, for example, on-premises repositories like SCADA systems, historians, MES, your ERP systems, or from your real-time assets like your PLCs that could be Allen Bradley or Siemens or you know, somebody else. Bring all that to one place, index it, and get it ready for the analytical work. And when you're ready for the analytical work, we have the tools. Simple tools that let you do sort of ad hoc querying and the more, the more complex tools that let you do the machine learning on it. So that's the very, very simple, just simple mindset. That's the basic architecture. Now we go one step deeper into that. So these are your PLCs and your, your sort of field assets on the left-hand side. We would work with you 
to layer in a sort of layer of gateways. Working with our partners, we would have you know, industrial gateways or commercial gateways that we, you know, you know, so bring into the picture, you're still at the edge where we add our IoT edge services like IoT Greengrass or our IoT site-wise collector service you know, for industrial data. And, th and then, of course, we have to have the super important you know, protocol conversion layer, which is actually going to convert um, you, you know, your protocols into MQTT or OPC UA that our cloud can absorb. And you know, partners like Kepware, uh, we, we work with, you know, there's Kepware, Matricon, Ignition, lots of companies that, that do that kind of work. And so once the data you know, gets up to the cloud, the first simple step is use our IoT core ingestion service or our IoT you know, site-wise you know, industrial ingestion and dashboarding service just to look at your data. And you want to go a little further, you can use our IoT event service, which lets you do sort of you know, a simple sort of complex condition monitoring. You know, so simple algorithms that let you take multiple data tags and build an algorithm to see if there's anything happening with your assets. That's sort of the first step. Get a feel for what is happening out in the field. Once you get sort of comfortable with that, next step is let me start building a data lake. And once you start bringing data into a lake, you know, sort of field data, mixing it up with other data, then you can use our BI tools like Amazon QuickSight uh, to be able to look at that data and look at trend lines, you know, both, both, both near real time, long-term trend lines, get a feel for the data some more. Once you've got to that point, now you could be ready for the next big step. You bring in the heavy artillery now, right? Bring in the big, the big machine learning tools, you know, both, both Amazon SageMaker as well as Amazon Athena for doing a lot of you know, sort of heavy-duty um, ad hoc querying as well. And then that is now when it opens up the world for you where, you know, with the machine learning models and the query models, you can actually tackle a broad range of, you know, classic problems. I mean, you know, from things like preventative maintenance, product optimization, all the way, if you look on the extreme right, you know, even sort of leakage and, you know, sort of corporate theft of your possible assets out there as well. So, so that is the next level of the architecture. And, and to give you an example of that, you know, I talked about Bayer crop science. <clears throat> if you compare what Bayer has put into place, and I won't go into all the details, it, it, it was just to give you a sort of like a pattern match here, you can see that what Bayer has put into place is very similar to the high-level architecture diagram that I you know, showed you on the last slide, right? They, they've got you know, similar services on the edge side, and they're using our analytic services, our site-wise service, our quick site service, our data lakes you know, on the, the cloud side with the goal of being able to visualize their data, build operational dashboards, you know, store the data somewhere, and then be able to do some machine learning and analytics on that. So that is, that is the approach that companies are actually putting into place today. I was talking about Bear. You know, the, the operational dashboards that they're building allow them to look across their, their entire processes all the way from the field to receiving to shipping to sorting. I mean, the entire nine yards. You know, single sort of dashboards, they're looking at the entire, you know, so end-to-end flow, and this is the, the requirement. I mean, if, you know, you want to make, make sort of fundamental changes to your operations, you've got to see the overall, the overall scale of the operation and be able to see the KPIs, the OE scores, and so on at each step of the process and also across the entire thing. Then you can say, oh, my OE score for, you know, what sort of you know, color sorting is actually much lower you know, than all the other ones. Let me understand what's actually happening over there, right? That is the visibility that, you know, you know, sort of companies need to have to be able to change the way they operate. You know, I, I thought I'd give you another example, which is you know, somewhat different. This is from the oil and gas world, where I do a lot of work. And, you know, here I just wanted to you know, sort of bring up the idea of sort of, you know, cameras being an important IoT device. We have sort of two types of offerings you know, that we offer customers here. Number one is what we call a standard camera and a smart gateway. So these are cameras 
that are you know, just, just regular cameras, so industrial cameras, digital cameras, IP cameras, that are bringing in data you know, to, to, to AWS IoT. We, we sort of push that up into Amazon SageMaker, you know, so build a model, and then push the model down to a gateway, which is also out in the field, and that model on the gateway is doing all the inference, you know, looking for anomalies and things like that. The other one is smart camera, no gateway. These are specialized cameras that we are working with different camera vendors. And you do, you, you, you take the data up to the cloud, build the models, and then push the machine learning model directly onto the camera, and, and all the inference of that you know, actually happens within the camera itself. And uh, one of my customers is actually doing this in a pretty you know, difficult place in the north slope of Alaska, where the temperatures are you know, obviously extreme in the winters. They have 1,200 oil wells. These are all sort of brownfield wells. They have old, you know, old technology, you know, old valves and gauges that you have to move by hand. Unfortunately for them, they're a highly regulated industry, particularly you know, in the Alaska North Slope, where because of the tundra, you have to meet all the regulations very, very tightly. They have to send somebody out to 1,200 wells twice a day, no matter what the weather is, to be able to physically look at the setting of those valves your gauges. That is completely crazy, right? And, you know, I mean, it's a huge impact on the health and safety of those workers, you know, you know, productivity problem because you're losing you know, you know, so many man hours here. So we have been working with them, you know, building machine learning models that can actually recognize all those valves and gauges with nobody being out there. You know, we have specialized these the C1D2 certified gateways that can operate you know, in the Alaskan tundra. Uh, there's the pilots underway, and if they get a regulatory approval, you know, once this thing happens, you know, it can have a huge beneficial impact. Again, you know, you know, sort of change the way you operate using you know, digital technologies. You know, uh, another customer is a company called Valmet that you, you know, may or may not know. They, they make these massive paper production machinery. These are sort of 200-foot-long machines. And if you can begin to sense particular problems that are going on on the machine at the beginning end, you can actually predict the quality of the paper output at the end, and you can make sort of changes along the way. So they actually have these entire machines you know, actually censored, and they're able to lower their costs and optimize paper quality by, by having an entire production process. In this case, the entire production process is in one machine. So they have it entirely censored all the way across. I think some of you are, you know, most of you probably know that we are working very, very closely with Volkswagen. They are, have just begun an ambitious, very ambitious project. It's a five-year project to reduce the overall operating costs in their entire production processes by 30%. I mean, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know what the numbers are, but the numbers are in the tens of billions, right, of reduction in costs they're expecting to get. And they're doing that by working with us to digitize 122 manufacturing plants around the world and then build a digital supply chain where there are 1,500, you know, tier one and tier two suppliers who are located at about 30,000 different locations around the world will all get connected to the DPP program, uh, the DPP you know, uh, uh, platform that Volkswagen has, and so they have a complete sort of, you know, digital supply chain with their suppliers and their own operations. Massive, massive engagement, which will have you know, clearly an you know, enormous transformative effect on their operations. So that was all about you know, so changing operations. And final word on business models, right? I think we, we you know, so talk quite a bit about that, that um, you know, most, the biggest single change that we're seeing from a lot of companies, I gave the example of Michelin, um, is moving from a product sale to making an outcome-based service available. You know, and uh, we're seeing this in the construction industry. We work with a lot of companies in the construction industry. You know, I mentioned the tire manufacturing area. Uh, you know, Rolls-Royce is, you know, doesn't sell jet engines anymore. They actually sell you, you know, sort of mean time between maintenance. 
Uh, and so lots of companies and lots of industries are making this fundamental transition, but you can't do that unless you know the state of all your assets all the time. So that you know, goes back to the very opening slide. That's where you have to begin. You know, that's where you can end up. And one sort of final example of that is SKF. You think about a ball bearing, right? I mean, you, you wouldn't think that you would want to you know, make, make ball bearing available as a product, as a service. But that's exactly what SKF is doing. You know, they've, they've discovered that in these huge wind, your windmill, uh, these your wind farms, these windmills are, you know, 200 feet tall, and at the top of that, in your mortar, there are the SKF bearings, and those bearings fail. And if those bearings fail, you've got to send somebody up there to go and identify the problem and fix the bearing. And that's obviously crazy. And so they have built the System 24 lubrication system, which is running a machine learning model that is picking up the the vibration and the friction level around each of the bearings, and that is being fed you know, directly into a machine learning model that's running on Amazon Greengrass, IoT Greengrass, and they're able to continuously lubricate that, that bearing you know, surface to extend the life of the actual product. And so they offer that as, you know, sort of a number of hours of your bearing use time as opposed to selling you a bearing. And with that, I think it is time for the beer. So I would like to bring uh, Mike up here to tell you about what he's been doing in the world of beer. Thanks, Sanjay. Yeah. Uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Wack. So um, let's, there we go. I'm Mike Margolis. I'm a VP of Cloud Engineering at Weisberger. Um, Weisberger startup founded in Tel Aviv, Israel in 2011, uh, and our goal really is to connect bars, restaurants, hotels, and pretty much anywhere where beer is served to the digital world. That's how we started, and really we started as an IoT company. Later we added other data sources, but really we started from the world of IoT from inception. Um, in 2018, in the beginning of the year, about two years ago, we were acquired by Anheuser-Busch InBev. AB InBev, anyone raise of hands heard of AB InBev? Yeah, probably not, a little bit. Uh, anyone heard of Budweiser, Corona, Stella, Leff, popular brands of beer? So AB InBev is the largest beer company in the world, uh, manufacturing over 500 brands of beer, uh, manufacturing actually the beer in dozens of countries and operating almost in most of the countries of the world. So we were required to help with the kind of the big data analytics journey and understanding what's going on inside the bar. Up until uh, we, we started this journey together, uh, they sold beer to the actual uh, bars, but they didn't really know what was happening then. Somebody was drinking it at this hour of the day, what was happening on different days of the weeks. So we've joined them and uh, we're part of the family now and we're helping to connect, connect the last mile of, uh, of the data. So. We work with a lot of customers, big to small, um, and, and we, we try to engage with our customers, try to talk to them about the problems that they face. Um, so we can talk a little bit more about, let's say, an independent bar owner. Yeah, typically, maybe has one bar, maybe a sports bar in Las Vegas, in New York, or any city. And we talk about the kinds of challenges they face, uh, and you might be surprised about how uh, low-tech that, that that experience is for them. So. One of the biggest challenges is about gauging the market. They don't really know what's going on around them. They're trying to always stay ahead of the curve, trying to see how they can make their business succeed, but they don't actually necessarily know what's happening. They don't have concrete data or, or something that they can actually base their decisions off of. So, for example, um, is the market going up or down? Is the economy bad, or is it just my bar that's not doing so well? Uh, is it winter versus uh, summer that's really affecting uh, my performance or why actually am I now starting to do a lot better? And another thing, you know, I can take a look at a day of the week. Uh, on Thursday, suddenly I see 50% of the revenue that I have on a typical Thursday. So what's the reason for that? Maybe uh, something's happening or is it everyone or is it just me? And they really don't know how to answer these questions often. And secondly, making strategic decisions. So you might be surprised how do they price their beers? They know how much the beer costs when they purchase it, but how do they set the price of a pint when they go into 
uh, when you go into the, into the bar and you want to buy a pint of Stella. They don't often know how to do it, so they do some market research. They walk down to the bar, down the end of the other street, and they see how much he's selling it for. They may go to a couple, but they probably can't cover the whole city. And, and they don't really necessarily have a good way to actually understand how to set the price of their beer. And the margins aren't necessarily great. So there's a lot of, uh, or, or they want to be cheaper than someone else because that kind of bar is, is not necessarily the, the high uh, upscale bar. They want to appeal to a different crowd. Looking at what kinds of things are trending, what beer brands are popular in, in my market, in, in Las Vegas versus in uh, Los Angeles or versus in New York or Miami. And, they also need to know what, what kind of uh, stock to keep. Should I order now two kegs or should I order five? Is there a big sporting event coming up? How's that going to affect my business? How, how can I learn from the past to, to, to look at the future and how I need to operate and be efficient and not lose money? And the last thing is uh, actually a lot of them have data. They have point of sale systems. Uh, they may have different methodologies for tracking the number of customers and patrons they have. But they don't necessarily know how to connect that data and what to do with it at the end of the day. So we came up with this concept of the connected bar, which is using technology, uh, primarily starting with IoT and later point of sale and other technologies, to actually connect that bar and see what's going on inside and actually be able to get to some kind of deterministic understanding of what we should do as bar owners. Um, so you might be asking yourselves, what kind of questions can we actually answer about beer, what, what business questions, what metrics. So the first one I'd like to talk about is about beer quality. Um, to me, when I'm, uh, when I'm drinking, I don't want to drink my beer cold. I want it to be fresh. You know, seems pretty straightforward, but how can you track that? You know, as a manager of a bar, you're running around here. Do you know when you actually purchased that keg and when you connected it? Um, and, and these are the kinds of things that we can use IoT to help us understand. Um, we actually, in, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, a product that you're consuming. You have, to, you have to clean the beer taps, you have to sanitize, you have to make sure that it's healthy. And so there's a process of sanitation that they're doing, but are we doing it on a regular basis? Are we making sure that it happens the way it should? Um, in addition, prediction. So, so now looking forward and, and trying to understand what's happening, like that example of Thursday that is a little bit down or a little off. Or let's say we have a sporting event another week and we want to prepare ourselves and understand how we're actually going to uh, organize the bar or should I bring more wait staff? Should I have two bartenders or three bartenders? And so there are a lot of questions that they really don't know how to approach and, and really a lot of it is guesswork today and using technology we can actually help them understand concretely how, how to make decisions. Uh, one of the biggest things, waste. So I don't know if anybody has worked in, in, in uh, the bar industry but um, about 20% of beer purchased in the kegs, about 20% of the beer in the kegs is never consumed uh, by, by you and me. It, it all goes somewhere, right? Um, but it's not all the same. So for instance, um, you know, some of it is known. Uh, we want to make beer battered uh, fish and chips. So we take some beer out of the keg and then we go and we actually, uh, you know, know that this has been wasted. We're not selling it at the end of the day. It's part of our menu. On the other hand, we could have a bartender who is selling uh, beer and also starts drinking on the job. And then he has some friends who come in and he wants to give his friends uh, you know, some beer. Um, or we can notice outside of operating hours that suddenly a lot of beer was consumed. And why is that happening? So yeah, it's, maybe it's the staff. Maybe that's okay, but maybe, maybe it's not. Um, and the last thing is optimization. So understanding uh, really, when, when uh, the beer is, is going to run out, I don't know if any of you have ever gone to a bar, you look at the taps, you say, oh, there's five, five brands on, on tap. I want that one. And then they say, oh, yeah, we, we ran out. I'm sorry. <laughs> Bad luck. As a bar owner, that's a loss, you know, and it's uh, disappointing for your customers. So you don't want to get to that situation. So wouldn't it be great if we could recognize that ahead of time and I could get an alert that triggers and tells me, you need to order more beer, or even connect it to the system that helps me order the beer, and it can be a seamless process. So I'll give you a, a more concrete example. We, we have a very nice nightlife in Tel Aviv, and uh, we're, we're fortunate as Weisberger that we have a, a bar that we partner with very close to our offices, uh, which is a, a smart bar and also kind of a playground where we do a lot of uh, uh, testing and innovation with them. And so we took a look at what was happening in terms of in regards to this waste. It's actually kind of interesting. So, so we saw that in one month, 
18 kegs, it's a pretty popular bar. Um, 18 kegs, at the end of the day, no one drank, okay? Most of that waste, the 14 kegs, were coming from two brands that these two brands, the owners said, we don't mind that, our staff is drinking, but from these two brands. These are the, the brands that maybe are, you know, lower price point. Out of that, they were, they were not able to account for 10 of those 14 kegs. So four of them, they knew that they had some menu items and they used it. They knew that they were cleaning their beer lines and some of the, the, the waste was lost in the sanitation of those lines. But 10 of them, they still couldn't account for. And so then they looked more closely at the 10 kegs and saw eight of those kegs of waste were actually drunk off hours. If the bar closed at 11 p.m., they were drinking them at midnight. So how much was that eight, eight kegs actually worth to, to this bar owner? $3,700 a month. So, you know, maybe that's okay. Maybe he doesn't mind that his staff is drinking. That's a benefit, right? But, but maybe for someone else, that, that isn't okay. Or maybe it's a little bit of an exaggeration. So the ability to use IoT and technology to actually identify that and save money is something that's a game changer, even for people that up until long ago, they really just had no way to understand that or even know that it was happening. It was just, you know, money lost, stayed on the table. So, so how are we actually doing it? Let's, let's talk a little bit technical. Um, so first of all, in, in a bar, typically, we, we have two main sensors at the edge. One of them is a, what we call a flow meter, which we work with a company called uh, Digamessa, that they've actually developed a flow meter that can measure the rate of flow and the amount of, of, of beer, in this case, poured. And we install those on the tap lines. Secondly, we have temperature sensors that we're also wiring up into what's called the Python, which is how the beer is sent up through the taps. And these devices are then sending data back to a gateway. So we, we originally, we've had several revisions of our IoT. We've been doing it for a little while now. And originally, we, we tried to build everything ourselves. Um, and what we learned over time is that's hard, and you can spend a lot of time and effort doing it. And so we've, we partnered with others who, who specialize in, in specific aspects of that. And one of them, Rigado, who is a partner of ours, produces gateways that they are already out of the box knew how to support AWS IoT with Greengrass at the edge. They know how to connect to AWS IoT Cloud. And in addition, they support LTE so we, and Wi-Fi, but we mostly push the data up through LTE into the cloud. And so we worked with them to connect these sensors. And, and we found that in our initial testing of this solution going wireless that there was a little bit of trouble because bars are a little bit of a noisy environment. Um, we have patrons with Bluetooth <laughs> on their phones. Uh, you can typically have different types of equipment, walls, obstructions. Sometimes the sellers are located in one place, taps in another place. It starts getting uh, very, very complex in terms of trying to make sure that all of your connectivity is there and continuing to, to, to hold the data integrity. So for us, data integrity is key. I can't calculate waste or understand how to provide metrics and statistics to my customers that are accurate, then, then it's, a, it's game over. So we also work with a company called Wirepass that have developed a IP around a protocol that actually, actually helps us with making sure everything's connected in a self-healing way, even self-provisioning with those gateways from the sensor to the gateway. And also know how to make sure to route the traffic. They can route from one sensor to another sensor to another sensor to the gateway, not just each sensor to the gateway. In addition, uh, they can do dense areas. They can actually put about 1,000 uh, devices in one cubic meter, which is pretty incredible. And we, we chose to work with them because in our initial testing with Bluetooth, we saw that it was not as smooth as you might imagine, uh, and definitely in the bar environment. And last but not least, originally when we started, we were, doing, uh, we were sending technicians to install. It's a complex install. We started also, we had a wired solution, and you had to run wires all over the place. And so, when we went wireless, and, and, and as time goes on, and you've probably seen it with other things, I've saw it with my cable TV, I got a, you know, a new box and just hook it up and use an app and install it yourself, don't send a technician, which has a lot of impact on the operating costs. So we wanted to take a DIY as well, so we could put, you know, for someone who feels comfortable doing that, the installation in their hands. So how does all that come together from a, from a technical and architecture perspective? Um, so if you're looking on the left side here, we've got, we've got the edge, we have our sensors and they're connecting to each other or connecting directly to the gateway using the WirePass protocol. Our Rigado gateway that uh, actually is running uh, uh, Greengrass on it. And so they're handing off that data into Greengrass where then we can use Lambda functions to actually do diagno uh, diagnostics there 
and we're looking even at looking at pushing some uh, additional ML in there around some of this, recognizing sanitation and events where we may need to remove some of the data because it's not actual beer. It's, uh, you know, someone is cleaning the line, so they push a lot of liquid through there, and it's a lot of flow, but it's not actually beer. So we need to, we need to take that out of the equation. So a lot of that we're doing in batch processing. Today, we want to push it maybe closer to the edge, so we don't even send that data to the cloud. So the data is sent over MQTT into AWS IoT Core. From there, uh, we actually uh, are sending the data. The Wirepass protocol works with a, a protocol called Protobuf, which is binary and very efficient, which saves us on our LTE. Uh, but at the end of the day, we want to work in a format like JSON that's readable and we can use once we're in the cloud. We don't really care as much about that, that efficiency. So we convert it with a Lambda function, and then we push it into a Kinesis stream, and then just stream that data all the time, the raw data, into our IoT pipeline. And our IoT pipeline kind of looks like this. You may, some of you may have seen this kind of architecture before. It's called a Lambda architecture. And it kind of serves two different use cases. Uh, what we call batch processing and, and near real-time processing. So if we want to do heavy lifting and look at a lot of, a lot of uh, big aggregate metrics over large periods of time, over the course of a year, we want to take measurements and try to create new metrics from that. So we need to do some heavy lifting with batch processing. And for that, we'd use EMR. But you can't run batch processing every minute. You have to kind of time it, and it takes a while, and those jobs can take you know, sometimes 30 minutes to run. And, and so that's great for certain things, but it's not great if, for instance, when I install in the bar, I want to make sure everything's connected. So what do we do? We do a pouring test. We just, you know, see the beer's coming through, and we want to see that it's actually being recorded. For that, you need kind of a real, uh, near-real-time near solution. And for that, we have our speed layer. And the speed layer is pushing data into Aurora, and we're able to look at that, that data. Also, in the case of a bar owner wants to take a look at, you know, up into the last few minutes, how much beer have I served? You know, if he's looking at a chart over the course of a month, that's a batch type uh, application. But if he wants to see what's happening right now, that's a speed layer. So we have kind of both of these complementing, and we're using uh, a set of different types of data stores that are relevant to, to the application. And then we have an applicative layer um, that we build with some microservices and ECS that, you know, basically know how to serve up the data and push it out, which at the end of the day, you know, the bottom line for our customers, they don't really care about all that architecture stuff, is being able to actually gain those, those insights, answer those, those questions that we talked about in the beginning. And so we want to serve it up to them in a dashboard that's easy to understand. And we actually are able to give insight not just to what's happening to them, because we're working with a lot of different bars, and we can look at clustering those types of bars. We can look at clustering type of bar. We can look at geographical... Uh, proximity. We can look at things that are also clustering by similar revenue uh, types of bar, a big bar versus a small bar. They're not going to operate the same. They're not trying to, 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 to actually uh, necessarily do the same things. And so we do some clustering. We look at the different types of bars like you. Uh, and we're able to present a picture without identifying who the others are, but picture of how they are actually optimizing and should they be serving half pint sizes more than a, a third of a pint? Uh, I'm sorry, a half uh, liter versus a third liter, and, and different types of things that they can help take business decisions about how they operate their bar. And at the end of the day, save a lot of money. Um, so that's basically what we're doing, and uh, I think we'll open it up to Q and A now. Yeah, yeah. In fact, just just one one note. Um, you know, for uh, those of you who might have you know, you know, more interest in going into the IoT sessions. Our VP of IoT, Dirk, is on the IoT 305. You want to get deeper into our analytics services. Um, you know, for those of you who have some interest in, in the whole sort of camera thing I talked about, that's you know, 311. And then you know, uh, tomorrow I'm doing another you know, deep dive into the architecture stuff, uh, which is you know, 328. So with that, we'll um, thank you all for actually attending. And, um, you know, if there are any questions, please, uh, please use the microphones in the two aisles. And don't forget to um, submit your survey results on the mobile app. Okay. Uh, is it? Thank you very much. <laughs>